Zakawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't mean anybody, Steve Zakawani! Steve Zakawani was never fun <laughs> to stick up against. Was it for Zakawani? None of this is possible. It's Steve! It's Steve! <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani! What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Winging It with Zakawani, coming to you from a beautiful day in downtown Seattle. I love when we get days like this, especially in the midst of the gloom and doom that has been the start of this um, MLS season. Um, three games in, of course, it hasn't gone to plan. You don't need me to tell you that. Um, in fact, you've all been telling me that, and um, with good reason, with good reason. So, got a wonderful show lined up for you today. We're going to recap the game um, that took place this past weekend. Um, there's no game to look forward to this weekend with the bye week, which is a good thing. And I'll explain why, because it's actually going to give the team some time to figure out a few kinks, get some things right, and really kickstart this thing. And I've got my friend, um, one of my favorite former teammates, who's back in the Emerald City, David Estrada, stopping by. and We'll have a great conversation for you. But let's get right into it. A 1-0 loss this weekend um, to the Montreal Impact. Another red card. You know, Sanders playing a whole half again with 10 men. Very tough to win games in that kind of situation. The team is now 0-3 with no goals scored. Uh, that's as bad as it can get. If there's ever a way to look at the first three games and say we've hit rock bottom, this is it. So the one positive you can look at is at some point, the only way has to be up. But the game itself, I thought before the red card, from my estimation, I watched the game down from pitch side doing sideline analysis. It was a pretty even game to an extent. The Sounders were in the game. The impact would have been somewhat happy with what, you know, as an away team coming to CenturyLink Field. It's not easy. They would have been pleased with how the game was going. Um, and then the red card happens. The red card for me, was very controversial only because of what I thought I saw. And that's most people too. In real time, Kelvin Leardam slightly undercuts the Montreal Impact player. The guy falls over, gets upset. The referee calls for video review. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm a fan to an extent of video review. You want to get decisions right? But it can't be for this. Not for kind of an undercut that you just play on. That takes place over football pitches all over the world. Every game in the world, you'll see that. And we're not going to video review this, are we? And then I saw the red card. I saw him go into his back pocket and draw the red card. And internally, I lost it. I was livid. I ran to Twitter, as you do, and said it's a disgraceful decision. Because if you're calling that a red card after video review, I'm like, this is unbelievably bad. The, the Sounders just got screwed. And then the context arrived. And it's a red card. You can't put your hands on anyone's face. No matter how badly you're provoked, the guy pushed you first, doesn't matter. The second you raise your hand above the neck, is it a slap? Is it a graze? Call it what you will. It's a red card. And so I had to turn it back and actually applaud the refereeing crew 
because they made the right decision. Because if it happened against the Sounders, we'd be saying it's the right call. So you have to be objective and be honest. And that's what video review is for. I wouldn't call it violent conduct, but by the letter of the law, strictly speaking, the letter of the law, it's a red card. And that leads into just discipline issues. Kelvin Leardam is one of the most professional people I've met in this sport. I sat down with Kelvin not long ago. We spoke. He oozes experience and know-how. And you can tell he's been around the block. And he, 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 he has a good feel for the game. So that seemed to me very out of character. And Kelvin has to know better. And I'm sure he knows better. Because in that situation, you cost your team. The Clint Dempsey situation, there's not much he could have done. For me, still, that wasn't a red card. Referee makes a bad decision. And Clint sent off. That's tough. In Kelvin's situation, it's 100% on the player. And that doesn't help the team. You're having a tough start to the season. And your key player, your starting right back, one of your most experienced veteran players who's come from Europe, gets a red card for that, puts the team in a hole. But the second half, the Sounders played well. Before the Montreal goal, I was just on air saying, if I had just shown up now, I wouldn't know which team had 10 men. You couldn't have told me that the Sounders had 10 men because they were taking the game to Montreal impact. And then a mistake defensively, you can't give Nacho Piatti that kind of invitation. He doesn't need much space anyway. But when you pretty much hand it to him, he'll punish you. And he did. Beautiful piece of skill. Sets up his teammate. Balls in the back of the net. Now you're climbing a mountain. And the Sounders gave everything they had. You have to commend the heart, commend the passion, commend the effort, the determination, playing with 10 men, going after it and not quite getting it done. It just wasn't going to be their day. Everything was kind of just off target or if it was on target, it went straight to Evan Bush, my former college teammate, the Montreal goalkeeper. So it ended up being, again, one of those games where we're leaving, scratching our heads like, we didn't play bad, but the cold, hard facts and reality is we lost. 1-0, 0-3, no goal scored, two home defeats. It's bad any way you look at it. So then how does this get fixed? Is it a big DP signing? Is it the guys who are here stepping up? Is it coaching? Is it the players? Looking at the three games, I don't know how much more, you know, coaching or tactics would have done because chances have been created. When a team hasn't scored, The first question is, are we creating chances? With the Sounders, the answer is yes. The chances are being created. So that's not the issue. Brian Schmetz is not worried about his team getting to the right spaces or creating chances because they're doing that. The issue then is, why are we not putting the ball in the back of the net? And secondly, why are we not keeping it out on the other end? And these are small things. You go back and watch tape of every game so far this year. And you can probably think, haven't really played terribly overall, created enough chances to have scored three or four goals so far this season. It just hasn't happened. A signing would help, of course. But I'm still on, in the camp that says, let me see the starting 11. Let me see Osvaldo Alonso. Oh, I miss him. Let me see Clint Dempsey play 90 minutes, hungry, ready to go. Victor Rodriguez, Nico Rodero. Let me see that group together. That group loses three games in a row? I'm the first one pressing the panic button. But until I see that, I'm not going to panic. It's bad. I agree. But a team that's been to -to back-to-back MLS Cups, 
does deserve some benefit of the doubt. I know it can be asking a lot and the leash can be long that I'm asking for, but a couple of wins changes the whole vibe, the whole dynamic. Two more losses in the upcoming games, then yeah, maybe it'll be time to panic. But until then, try to look at the positives because in this sport, that's exactly what you have to do. Couple of your questions, because there are a lot. This is the first time I've been nervous posting on Twitter that you should send in questions because I know what we're going to get. But you guys weren't too bad. One of the questions that um, I wanted to address was someone said to me, be the GM. First of all, no thanks. But if I had to be. Says the next two games in April, imagine the Sounders lose those games. Does this change the type of player or quality of player that you need to bring in as the big summer signing? I don't think so. I think you don't just sign a big name. You don't sign a name on paper. You sign someone who's going to fit your team on the pitch and in the locker room, someone who has a lot to give, someone who's hungry, someone who's going to buy into being in MLS. There's all those things that Garth and his team are doing. They do their homework. They, they know who they're going after. And you look at all those factors. I don't think results change that so much. You just want to bring in quality that's going to make your team better. And that's kind of how um, um, you approach that. And that's, that's exactly, what, exactly what I would do in, in this situation. Here's a short one. Do we miss Brad Evans in the locker room right now? I'm not going to say Brad Evans specifically, but a Brad Evans type, a Zach Scott type, someone who's going to push guys in training and get after it and let them know, hey, at this club, this is the standard. Yeah, you, you need that. Maybe even a Nelson Valdez, a, a Hercules Gomez, those kind of pros who've been around and have pride and bring it every day in training. Um, I think you could do, you could always do with those guys in the locker room, especially when things aren't going well. We're after this break. I have David Estrada joining me. David, one of the few guys to score a hat-trick in Sounders history. He's now back in the Emerald City playing with S2, doing some coaching on the side. We'll get into that and more, his life off the field, right after this break. Evans up in the area for him. Here's Fernandez in again. This is Fernandez. Oh my word! David Estrada has just set this place alight. A hat trick on his bow in 2012. One game, one win, one hat trick. An outstanding night for the Seattle Sounders and David Estrada. And welcome back to Winging It with Zakwani. I'm so happy to be joined by a former teammate of mine, uh, one of the few people to actually score a hat-trick for the Sounders and to do it at CenturyLink Field. The one, the only, live in the flesh. He's back in Seattle now, David Estrada. David, what's up, man? Hey, man, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of you. When I first came here, man... People don't know, man. <laughs> you try to tell them, but they don't know. And uh, yeah, man, just I'm so, I'm so inspired by everything that you do. Thank you, brother. First of all, on the field, what you did, but yeah. just what you've done off the field, man. It's, it's it's a different it's a different thing to to be able to be successful yeah. on the field. And yeah. obviously, there's so many to do it, but to be able to do what you're doing now is is very inspirational and no. someone that I always have looked up to, man. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate that, man. Um, I like having, like, we had um, James Riley on here, um, having, like, former teammates, because going down memory lane, some of those old days are some of the best times. Um, with you, 
just refresh us because you're back in Seattle, but the first time you came to Seattle, where you, you went to college, you know, how did that end up you ending up here in Seattle? And then what some of your memories from those early days, your first stint? Uh, well, you got to go all the way back to um, the first year of Seattle Sounders. I was able to watch that game live on ESPN, and I didn't know what I was really watching. Yeah. There's this new team from Seattle, and it seems like a football field is packed, and people yeah. are pretty excited. And you could see it on TV. Yeah. But you don't really know no. how it is till you're in the stadium. And so that was like my first introduction to the Seattle Sounders. And, you know, I got drafted here. Uh, kind of a little bit backtrack. I went mm-hmm. to UCLA. We'd always play UW. And mm-hmm. I came up here during the time when the weather was nice. Yeah. And I was like, yo, man, this is one of the most beautiful places to this day, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Other people have different opinions. This is the most beautiful place I've ever visited. Yeah. And so... I ended up playing four years at UCLA, up and down, injuries, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, very luckily, I was able to get drafted here. It's like first round draft mm-hmm. pick, and I never really expected that. Not in a million years, man. I, I can tell you I was in front of my laptop the, the day of the draft and waiting for the supplemental draft. Mm-hmm. But when my name was actually called up in ESPN Live and, you know, like the first yeah. 15 p- picks at that point, they're mm-hmm. actually – uh, on TV. Televised, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, that was probably one of the most beautiful moments, too, for me. Just my phone blew up and just, like, everyone that kind of helped me through to get there mm-hmm. just kind of reached out that day. And, you know, it was just, it was like a dream come true. But obviously, coming here, uh, the first game is just yeah. unreal, man. Yeah. And like I said, I saw it on TV. <laughs> but then, like, actually being on the field, it was like, wow, it's just, it's just, you really try to describe it, but... It's a feeling you can't really replicate. Yeah. So you know how it is. Yeah, of course. Um, Ziggy's a UCLA guy. Had you known him before, or did you only know Ziggy once you came here? No. So the other thing I did, I actually went to, like, the pre-combine, which is um, a lot of players, you know, sometimes opt out of it because if you don't have a good pre-combine, sometimes it's players who are not going to go to the MLS combine, the big combine. And so sometimes it might hurt you. Uh, for me, I did everything I could to kind of get myself out. I went to San Jose pre-combine. I went to the Sounders pre-combine. And you have to drive yourself or fly yourself there. I drove from L.A. to Vegas. Oh, man. Uh, you have to pay for your own hotel. Um, but, yeah, I, I got introduced with Siggy there. And um, after the combine, Schmetzer's actually came up to me and told me, like, he appreciated me going to the combine. I thought I played some pretty good soccer. So I felt pretty good after that. And that was kind of like when I I was introduced to like the coaching stuff. Yeah, I I like like your story because, you know, for me, being drafted, it was like, oh, you're the number one pick and you're coming to Seattle and, you know, you're going to play. And then that's rare. That's not the normal side of it. Normally, if you're going in... I think they they normally call them phenoms. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you said it, not me. (laughs) But when you came to Seattle, we had a really... Was it 2010? Yeah, 2010. I mean, the two Freddies. Yeah. You know, I was on that team. It was a very attacking group. So speak from that perspective of coming in, knowing you have to work hard every day in training, train hard, and you might not play at the weekend. How can you still be professional? And I think a lot of young people listening to this need to know that side of it as well. Hey, man, you come to a place like Seattle and you're thrown pretty much with, with the wolves. You know, it's like you're you're playing with seasoned vets. Like you said, Freddie Lundberg, Freddie yeah. Montero. Um, 
there's guys that are like fighting day in day out to put food on the table we talk about like zach scott you know what i'm saying and for me to be around players like zach scott like Mm -hmm. roger levesque who you know i was like oh these guys are good players but they're really not like sometimes they're not playing consistently what are they doing and so you one of the most, for me, Zach Scott is a player that I've always looked up to, um, just kind of how hard he worked in the gym just to be able to be ready at all times. And so I'm like, I think I can do that. And I've always been a player that has really worked hard um, off the field, not necessarily soccer-wise. It was always kind of like I always wanted to be the hardest working player. And so that's kind of how I think my role was a little bit it came to fruition here in Seattle and I think that's something that maybe Schmetzer and Siggy kind of liked about me so I was very very fortunate to be here for four and a half years yeah when you're talking about working hard I know because I used to you're one of the guys I used to hate playing against because there's some days I come to training and I'm like I'm gonna work hard but I don't want to go against someone who's gonna run all day yeah and then when I was on when you were on my side when I'm on your side I'm like okay I gotta focus because David's not gonna stop running I'm gonna have to chase him you worked hard you did all of that but let's talk about that game um, I believe it was against Toronto mm-hmm. the hat trick yeah um, whether you know this or not I don't know but are you able to talk us through each of the three goals um, do you remember them I I can I can just remember man you know how it is man you're, when you're in the moment <laughs> when you're in that flow state uh, no the one thing that I could say is Seattle is always very good at bringing um, very attacking-minded, creative players. Um, you talk about Alvaro Fernandez. Yeah. And so you talk about Mark Birch and having, like, a per, like a, one of the nicest left foot, uh, in my opinion, in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and obviously, guys kind of getting down the wings, you know that they're going to create a little bit of magic, and you just got to create a little bit of separation, be in the right spot at the right time, and that was the first goal with Alvaro Fernandez. He, like... You talk about, like, breaking ankles, yeah, man. And he, he killed a guy. He, he, he left the guy. <laughs> I think there's still, like, the outline <laughs> on the field where the guy like, was just left in the dust. He killed him. And uh, sometimes that's even, like, I can't believe, like, people just, like, look past that and, like, yeah. they think about it. No, but then Alvaro actually played me a 1-2 in the third goal. And uh, I think it was a combination uh, between Alvaro and Birch that played that through ball mm-hmm. over the top running on the line and that was the second goal so I kind of knew based on the players around me when I needed to kind of time my run and that was pretty much it I was just I knew I could get behind the defense and luckily three times I did it three yeah. times and they weren't able to stop it yeah I mean scoring I mean I never did it very great players I've played here never scored hat tricks. that's a fantastic accomplishment um since leaving Seattle Give us the rundown on where you've played since and how those experiences have been. Um, it's been up and down. Um, obviously, you always kind of want to see it as a learning experience. Uh, after traded, I got traded to um, D.C. halfway through my fifth year here in Seattle, and that was an uh, amazing experience uh, with um, Ben Olsen and yeah. kind of learning his style, so seeing a different type of coach, um, just how passionate he is. He's been a little bit like Schmetzer, you know, he's been around yeah. the team for so long, and you're just never going to get a guy who's going to feel that same feeling for the club. So it was good to be around that group. It was a very fairly young group. We were in CONCACAF, so I was able to play um, in CONCACAF. You know how it is. Mm-hmm. Well, CONCACAF is always for the younger players. Yeah, I hope they know, or Open Cup is like, that's extra 
games to like hopefully yeah. get some get some minutes in and so that's how i saw it um after that i ended up in uh sacramento with Preki. yeah Preki, i love Preki. he's one of my guys man I, yeah his intensity his he just he just loves the game and he wants to push his guys and he for me is i loved it because his trainings were always so much more intense than the games. Yeah. And so when you talk about like me always running in trainings, I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is where I want to be. Um, halfway through the year, uh, I ended up getting, I ended up going to Orange County and I was there for half a year and we ended up winning like the Western Conference and uh, it was good there, but then kind of couldn't really find a club and I got some help, ended up in Charlotte for two years and I was there and, I was part of a very good group of guys, and we, were, in my opinion, I thought we were one of the better clubs. Like we actually like knocked the ball mm-hmm. around, so that was very enjoyable to be yeah. a part of. Mike Jeffries and Troy Lesnitz, like two of the better coaches that I've been with as well. And you know, it's just it's all been kind of up and down in terms personally, but it's always been for me. It's like a little bit of a growth mindset, and kind of just. Even if it's a bad experience, what could I have I done better, and what can I do better for the next opportunity? And then you end up back in the Emerald City in Seattle. Um, how does that come about, and how has it been being back? <laughs> Man, I I really sometimes I can't even like describe it because a um, few weeks prior to being here, I I'm contemplating, I'm having that conversation with my parents. Like, yeah, I'm having a really difficult time finding a club. NASL folded, so there's like this surplus of um, mm-hmm. free agents, uh, and I'm just I, I'm contacting every team possible, and again, so I reach out to Schmetzer and is there any way I can train with uh, a team? And he's like, I'll give you John Hutchinson's contact, see what he says. I already knew like Seattle S two, they they are not really looking to bring yeah. any type of older players, yeah, and so. I was like, yeah, I'll just go and train, like, see what happens if I can reach out to other teams. And so kind of in my second week, I noticed on the website that there's an opening for a U15 Academy coach. The job description had bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> and so luckily, <laughs> I'm, I'm fluent in Spanish, and uh-huh. I kind of re- reached out to Mark Nichols, and we had a quick little chat, but I kind of let him know that, I'm 30 years old. I think I'm in better shape now than when I was 21. Oh, wow. And obviously, like, more mature. Mm -hmm. And so if I could continue playing, like, that would be the ideal situation. And so he's like, you know what? Like, we're going to sign you with S2, and we're going to bring you on the academy coaching, and we want you to keep uh, playing. But, like, the academy's priority. But Mm -hmm. so far, it's been been unreal, man. You've played. You've scored. Um, do you, in that locker room, are you having like a veteran's presence trying to be a mentor to the young players? Are you seeing that as part of your role as well? Like, is there a bigger purpose to it being here? Absolutely, man. And I think sometimes, especially in the first years, you kind of think it's all about you, right? Like, I got to score goals. Yeah. I, I got to play. I don't care, like, who's in front of me. I'm going to outwork them and yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove I'm better. <laughs> so now it's like, I got to set an example. I got to lead by example. It's not about me. It's about the club. Yeah. It's about helping these kids grow and kind of maybe be like a Zach Scott, like a Roger yeah. Levesque. And for me, it's to be able to come back to the team that 
gave me that first opportunity and um, still kind of even try to get involved in the community and mm-hmm. be back to this this club, man, it's I really can't like mm-hmm. explain it. It's, it's it's a beautiful thing and to see some of the young players kind of coming up out of the academy, some of these young players that are training with us, being on the fence to maybe potentially sign soon in the next year is is really like exciting for me to be able to be around that environment and see them grow see them mature and so yeah man it's definitely a different role in terms of um when I first got here and kind of progressing I do see it more as a leadership role last two things I want to ask you one when the boots are finally hung up one day is coaching the path you want to take I'm not entirely sure if coaching is like the one thing that I want to say like that's what I want to do it might be something that I do on the side because I I think I want to have like a big impact in the world and Mm -hmm. sometimes I have these big epiphanies and like Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's bigger issues in the world and sometimes if I can use the platform that we have to to have a bigger impact in the world then I want to kind of seek those And, and in Seattle I will say this is their nonprofit sector is another reason why I came to Seattle because yeah. I want to connect with some of those people, learn what they went through, kind of see if I could add it to my like experience, be around them, soak up as much as I can, and see if I can create my own vision, kind of like you, like Kingdom yeah. Hope. That's that's unbelievable, and man. That ties right into what I wanted to ask you. Also, we've kind of spoken a bit about being active in a community because I. I've been doing Kingdom Hope since 2010, and I think the Sounders are a great club in terms of encouraging you to be active in this community. Um, For people that listen, sometimes they might not know why an athlete would do something like that. Why is it important to... Because you've been outspoken about your community, where you come from. Um, Why is that important? I mean, I always get a chance to go back home, and I talk to classes, and... But for me, I try to see the world in a bigger scope, and so... Where I grew up, it's not the nicest area. Mm-hmm. We don't have the best programs. We don't have the best resources. Um, sometimes all it takes is one person that cares, one person that tells even a kid, like, you have the potential to be a good person in this world. That's all it took for me, man, just like two, three people like that. And so if we can have more people with a positive message coming to where I'm from, it's called East Salinas. There's a lot of gang violence, a lot of negative stuff. Amidst all that, there's still like hardworking people. There's still right. good people, and there's good kids there. And so, I'm like, for me, example, like health is another thing that I would potentially want to get into. We have kids who have diabetes, type two diabetes, as children, you know, and it's mm-hmm. all due to diet. And so, kind of just th- th- those are the things that are important to me. How I want to incorporate it into my life is still to be seen, but I think I'm kind of heading in that little in that track in that direction so yeah man i'm just trying to be around like good people and trying to good do good things on and off the field and like i said man you've always been an inspiration to me and kingdom hope has always been like wow that's that's just unbelievable man and going from i know your early days where you got hit by a car and you thought it was (laughs) over man it's like (laughs) those are the things man adversity sometimes like brings out the best in people and yeah you know some people might have written you out and you keep coming back, man, and I love it, man. And Thank you. keep doing what you're doing because you're an inspiration to, to so many. Man. 
Thank you, brother. Man, um, if you didn't know why, that's one of my you know, favorite former teammates um, before. You now know why. Um, I think the Pacific Northwest is very happy to have you back. I follow you know, S2 here and there. I've never seen as much traffic around the S2 game <laughs> as the game in which you scored. Um, yeah. People were generally just so happy for you and to have you back. So I think it's great that you're here. And wish you the best with the season, with the coaching you're doing on the side. And for me, even more importantly, everything bigger you're going to do off the field as you go forward, man. David, pleasure to see you, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Good to have Appreciate you. Appreciate you, man. Love you, man. All right, brother. That was David Estrada, uh, one of the few men to score a hat-trick in Seattle Sounders history. Um, taking that interview, we covered a lot there. Um, thanks to David for joining us. And I will be right back with more on Winging It with Zach Orton. Welcome back to Winging It with Zakuani. Once again, a big thank you to David Estrada for joining us um, and giving us fantastic insight, fantastic interview there. Um, lots of gems um, for soccer fans and people just who want to be active in their community, um, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. A couple more questions before I get to my big three things and close out this week's show. Here's a question that came in. Do you feel like something is broken behind the scenes or is this just a case of extreme bad luck compressed into one month? Um, I think the answer to that is neither of those. Nothing's broken behind the scenes. You know, you don't just break when you've made back-to-back MLS Cup. So nothing is broken um, at all. And I don't think it's even been extreme bad luck. The Kelvin Leardam red card isn't bad luck. It's a poor decision by Leardam. Um It hasn't been just a game where it's a barrage of chances and you're thinking, how has it not gone in? No, there's chances that could have scored, created things, but, you know, for whatever reason, the finishing has been lacking. So I wouldn't call that also extreme bad luck. Um, LAFC came to Seattle, did what they had to do. Dallas played against 10 men, did what they had to do. Montreal played against 10 men, took advantage of that. So it's just been in the key moments the teams have taking advantage of Seattle's shortcomings. Another question here, this is funny. How much do you think you'll regret asking for questions this week? Surprisingly, not that much. I thought it'd be much worse. So it hasn't been bad. But no, in all seriousness, um, it's, it would be worse if people didn't care. I think it's great that people care and we're all kind of um, um, in this together. And at some point, the team will get out of it and it'll be okay. That leads me right into this week's big three things. Number one, a bye week. I used to hate bye weeks as a player because I wanted to play. I loved weeks where it was Saturday night game, Wednesday night game, and then Saturday game. Three games in a week, less training, more being around the game, the thing you're there for. Might play two out of three, you know, rotate the squad, but nothing like a game day. At times, a bye week is very, very helpful. And for the Sounders, it could not come at a better time. The obvious reason is, once again, getting guys healthy. Yes, Nicola Dero came back. But even him, who moves like the Energizer Bunny, will need a couple of games to get up to full fitness. So getting some more training, some more time in the gym, some more time um, doing some conditioning, it can only benefit and help him. And I'm sure between now and the 
Sporting Kansas City game, Brian Schmetzer and his staff will do some scrimmages, 11 on 11, full size, getting the guys up to speed, working on different tactics and chemistry, how to break opponents down, how to put the ball in the back of the net. So the bye week comes at a great time for the Sounders. A chance to just breathe, relax, get away from the noise, be huddled together at Starfire, just the group, just the players and the coaching staff, build some togetherness, some team spirit, and then look each other in the eye, let some harsh truths be spoken, everybody shakes hands and realizes they're all going in the same direction. So the bye week is the best thing to happen to the Sounders now. Sometimes I like to think that if you lose a game, you want to get out there right away, but with the way it's gone so far, it's probably not a good idea. And especially knowing you have another suspension coming up. So you do want to get your guys healthy. You do want to get a chance to get on the training pitch. You get five or six really good training sessions in to really work on some stuff. Get the guys feeling happy again. There's nothing like seeing the ball hit the back of the net, whether it's in training or it's in a game. Once you hit the ball and you see it beat the keeper, hit the back of the net, it builds confidence. There's nothing like that. So get used to seeing that again. That can only be a good thing. The second thing. 2010. Why do I say 2010? 2010, I was on a team that started the year 4-7-4. and four. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. Summertime came, made a couple changes. Got rid of a DP, bought a DP. Made a couple other signings. And ended that year, I believe, 10-2-3. Something very close to that. 10-2-3. And, and one of those losses was in the last game of the season in Houston during the day humid, hot, didn't want to be there, had already made the playoffs, so that doesn't count. So 10-1 and 3. 4-7-4 four, four to 10-1 and 3. What changed? A couple of signings came, but what really changed was we had a big win against the New England Revolution. Leo Gonzalez, the left back, who I didn't even know he could shoot, scored an unbelievable goal. In that same game, I scored probably the goal of my career. And then we got a third goal. And it's a big 3-0 win. And from there, we just went on a roll. Sometimes you just need to get that win. And this Sounders team will put three past a team at some point this season. All these goals we're storing up, they'll come flowing out at some point. And when that happens, we'll see another repeat of like a 2010 or 2016. Where it's a slow start. Things aren't going well. We're questioning, are we even going to make the playoffs? And then the turnaround will come. But I hope that isn't in June or July or August this year. Hope it's in April. I hope it's in May. I hope it's now. So that we can all get back to enjoying watching the Sounders play. And lastly, how could it be anything other than Zlatan Ibrahimovic? What he did is great for the league um, for so many reasons. You need personalities like him. You need guys who are going to talk and sell games in the press conference, in the media room, and then go on the pitch and back it up. I don't think he could have scripted a better debut coming on in a derby. Your team is losing and you scored two goals. And that first goal that he scored, I don't know many players in the world who can score like that. He didn't try to lob the keeper, try to chip him. He volleyed it. And that ball moved left to right, right to left. It was unbelievable technique. Hits the net on the fly. You give most players that opportunity in training, unopposed, and that ball is going into row Z. It's going into row X, row Y. 
It's not hitting the back of the net. So having a player of his caliber here, I think, is great. And I think it also put the league on notice and reminded us all that the reason you want to go after some of these big-name players who have a proven track record, who want to be here, which it seems like he does, is because they can produce moments like that. The Galaxy were being embarrassed at home to LAFC. They began to claw their way back, but were probably going to lose that game. And on comes the DP signing to turn it around, which probably only made most of you here in Seattle think, where's our DP? It would be nice. But I think for the Sounders, the group that's here, until we see everyone out there together to really see how this thing's going to come together, I think it's too premature to write this team off and think the sky is falling because it's not. It's a bye week. It's good for all of us, players, fans, analysts, podcasters, to take a big, deep breath, relax, and hopefully see the team come back close to full strength and go on the road to Kansas and pick up a positive result. That's all there's time for this week. Hope this gets you in a more positive, optimistic mood and gets you through this bye week. We'll be back next week. I am Steve Zakawani. As always, appreciate the interaction and the questions. This has been Winging It with Zakawani. Thanks again to David Estrada. I'm Steve Zakawani. Until next time. <laughs>